Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1046. The words will also be on the screen. If you're a guest with us today, we've been working through this section in the Gospel of Matthew, and we've come to the last section of Matthew chapter 18. And if you've been here through all of chapter 18, you are probably thankful, like I am, that we are at the end of the chapter. Uh, it has been difficult uh, to study all that Jesus has been teaching us in this passage and in this chapter. And this morning we come to the climax of the passage, and I want to speak for a few minutes on this subject, forgiveness from the heart. Matthew chapter 18, and we'll begin reading in verse 21. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open in front of you this morning, like many of you do. Uh, this passage is very helpful to us today. And this is what God's Word says. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The single greatest act that you and I can ever receive is the forgiveness of God. When God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died on the cross... He died for all of our sins in the past. He died for all of our sins 
in the present, and he died for every single sin that you and I will ever commit in the future. That's why we can sing with confidence that great line in the Getty hymn, The Power of the Cross, we stand forgiven at the cross. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you've turned from your sins and you have trusted in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, you indeed stand forgiven, past, present, and future. And as a result of experiencing this forgiveness from God, as Christians, we must deal with one another the way that God has dealt with us. This means that forgiveness must be the way of life for every single believer. Our relationships both inside and outside of the church, our marriages, our families will never survive unless you and I learn to forgive. So pastor, how would you define forgiveness for us this morning? Listen carefully. Forgiveness is a process keyword, of setting someone free of an obligation to you concerning a wrong that was done to you. And in this final passage of Jesus' instructions to the church in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus teaches all of us what it means to forgive from the heart. And I want you to notice, first of all, this morning, in verses 21 and 22, the principle of forgiveness. The Bible says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven in light of Jesus' teachings about church discipline in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20, Peter wondered how often he must forgive his brother or sister who sins against him. And so in verse 21, Peter asked Jesus about that. And in essence, both of Peter's questions in this verse simply mean that he was asking Jesus if there is a limit to forgiveness. Now you need to understand why Peter was asking this question. In those days, the rabbis of the days took a statement that God made repeatedly in the book of Amos in the Old Testament concerning Israel's enemies and that statement about forgiveness and these rabbis applied it to forgiveness in relationships. And they made a rule out of that statement from the Old Testament book of Amos. And they taught the people of the day that once you've forgiven someone three times, you no longer have to forgive them. Now, we've learned a lot about Peter over the last months in studying this section of Matthew's gospel, haven't we? 
and wouldn't it be just like Peter to do the math really quickly and say, well, the rabbis teach three. So how about I just up it a little bit to seven? Surely Jesus will think that's gracious and kind and gentle and good of me. And can't you just picture Peter in that moment, in that conversation with Jesus, with his chest bowed out, full of pride and a smile on his face, thinking that the Lord is going to praise him for his generosity of forgiveness and saying, do we forgive seven times? But you'll notice in verse 22 that Jesus responds to Peter's questions by saying, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven Now, when Jesus made this statement, he was not saying that we only have to forgive someone 490 times, and that on the 491st time when they wrong us, forgiveness is over with. We can excommunicate them, we can hold a grudge, we can be bitter, we can refuse to forgive. That is not what Jesus was saying. I'm sorry to disappoint you this morning if you believe that. Jesus was simply taking Peter's figure of seven and multiplying it to such a high level that forgiveness was beyond counting. The principle that Jesus was giving to Peter about forgiveness and that he's giving to you and me is simply this. That forgiveness has nothing to do with keeping a record of offenses and the number of times that you've extended grace to someone. That according to Jesus, there is no limit to forgiveness. And friends, there is no limit to forgiveness because God places no limit on the forgiveness that he extends to you and me. And if you and I are Christians this morning and we are a part of the family of God, then we know this unlimited forgiveness and grace that has been bestowed upon us through God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must model God's unlimited forgiveness to others in our lives. The Apostle Paul taught this principle to the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Listen carefully to what he taught them about forgiveness. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? How, Paul? How are we to forgive one another? As God in Christ forgave you. That's how we forgive. And so it begs the question this morning of all of us, how has God in Christ forgiven me? How has God in Christ forgiven you? And do you know what the answer to that is for every single person in this room this morning who's experienced the grace and the forgiveness of God? Over and over and over again. Again and again and again and again. He has extended grace and forgiveness to us. And as we have been forgiven like that, we are to extend that kind of grace and forgiveness to our brothers and sisters in Christ. One commentator said, to say I forgive you is not enough. It needs to be repeated whenever we feel the sense of grievance rising up in us afresh. It is primarily a matter of the will. 
as we determine not to hold the grievous against our brother or sister, but to accept his or her penitence wholeheartedly as God does. And then gradually the heart will catch up with our head and forgiveness repeatedly reiterated becomes a part of us until the wounds are healed. It's a process. It's not a one-time act. Can I tell you, friends, that in recent months in my life, I have had to go continually before the Lord in desperation, asking Him to heal my heart and to heal my wounds and to extend forgiveness and to remove bitterness and to remove anger and show love and grace. It's not easy to forgive. It's not even natural to forgive. But it's Christian to forgive. And if we have been forgiven by God, Jesus says we must forgive others. And Jesus was teaching Peter, and Jesus is teaching you and me that we should stop counting and we should start forgiving. So Jesus not only teaches us the principle of forgiveness, secondly, he also teaches us the parable concerning forgiveness. Now keep your Bible open. The major part of this text is the parable from verses 23 to 34. And you'll notice in verse 23 that Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, can be compared to this parable. You'll also notice in verse number 23 that the word therefore begins this parable. And that word ties Jesus' answer to Peter's questions in verse 22 and his principle of forgiveness with this parable. So in this parable, Jesus is teaching us the way that God forgives us and as a result, the way we should forgive one another. You will notice in this parable that God and his attitude and action toward forgiveness is pictured with the attitude and actions of the king. And the servant in this parable represents you and me. Now, I've taken this parable and I've divided it into six statements to describe the servant and his actions and how they represent every single one of us. So here they are. He owed a debt he could never pay in verses 23 to 25. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So Jesus begins this story by saying that there was a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And that when this king began to settle, 
a servant was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a king usually appointed governors over various provinces of his kingdom. And the primary responsibility of those governors was to collect taxes on behalf of the king. And it was probably in regard to these taxes that the king wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And Jesus says this particular servant owed the king 10,000 talents. Now a talent was the highest form of currency at that time. And the number 10,000 was the greatest number in the Greek language. All of that to say that Jesus is emphasizing that this is an incalculable debt that this servant owes the king. Now, I know you have inquiring minds, and that answer is probably not good enough for you. You want to know how much the, the 10,000 talents were. Well, one talent equaled 6,000 Roman denarii. And a denarius was one day's wage. Can you do the math? All of you that are good at math? 60 million days of work this man owed the king. Jesus' point is simple. He owed the king an astronomical amount of debt that he would never be able to pay in his lifetime. So you'll notice in verse 25 that Jesus says, since this servant could not pay, his master ordered him. Look at the text. Ordered him, his wife, and his children, and all that he had to be sold so that some form of payment could be made. The man, his wife, and his children would be sold into slavery. And all of his possessions would be sold on the market so that the king could recuperate some of this money. And you say, what are we to think of this, pastor? Well, this astronomical debt of this servant, listen, it is a picture of the debt of sin that every person carries with them until they turn to Christ and trust him for forgiveness. Every single one of us are born in sin and we continue to sin until the day that we die and the debt of sin just continues to increase and increase and increase over our lifetime such that if we were to pay that debt to God, we'd never have enough time to pay it. Additionally, the punishment of being punished for this debt that he could not pay is a picture of the punishment that every person who has never trusted Christ for their Savior will receive in eternity in hell where condemned sinners will be forever separated from God and they will spend eternity paying the punishment of sin that they will never, ever, ever be able to pay off. He owed a debt he could not pay. 
in verses 26 and 27, second statement. He received forgiveness that he did not deserve. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Jesus says in verse 26 that upon hearing the sentence, the servant fell down before the king and he cried out and he asked for patience and opportunity and mercy so that he could pay the debt back. Do you see the text? Patience so I can pay 60 million days of work back. And this action on the servant was an act of total and complete submission and desperation. He had no other option than to cast himself before the king. He was without hope, except for one thing. Jesus says this king was a man of compassion. Do you see it in verse 27? That upon seeing the servant fall before him, the king, out of pity for him, released him and forgave him the debt. The phrase out of pity is the similar language that Matthew uses all throughout his gospel to describe the compassionate actions of Jesus with all the people that he meets in the gospel of Matthew. And this king, showing compassion and pity to the servant, is a picture of Jesus showing compassion and pity to you and to me. And you'll notice carefully in the text The king did not postpone the debt. The king did not reduce the debt. The king canceled the debt. The king assumed the loss himself. And he extended forgiveness. And you'll notice also in the text that the servant asked for patience and for an opportunity to repay the debt. But instead of patience... He received full and complete pardon. This meant that the servant, his wife, and his children would be completely free. They would never be thrown into a debtor's prison. And just to be clear, to make sure you're following along and understand, this servant did not deserve this forgiveness. It was an act of love. It was an act of mercy. And it was an act of grace on the part of the king. And this servant and his condition illustrates your condition and my condition before God. Like the servant, we are in the deepest possible debt before God that we could ever owe and we could never pay our debt back. And therefore, like the servant, there is only one thing that you and I can do with the debt of our sin, and that is humbly cry out before the God of the universe, our creator and maker and sustainer, and plead to him for mercy and forgiveness. 
And the moment that we do that, he extends pardon and forgiveness to us just like the king did to this servant. And he cancels our debt forever. He owed a debt he could not pay. He received forgiveness he did not deserve. Number three, in verse 28, he was ungrateful for the forgiveness he received. Jesus said, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And Jesus says that upon leaving the king's presence, the forgiveness servant went out And he immediately found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him. And he choked him. And he said, pay me the money you owe me. This fellow servant was probably a low-level official who was under the forgiven servant. And he owed this forgiven servant a small debt. Jesus says it was a hundred denarii. Now remember... A denarii is one day's wage of labor. And so this was a hundred days of work. Do you see the comparison? Sixty million days forgiven. And he wants to hold his fellow servant accountable for a hundred. This debt compared to the debt that he owed the king was insignificant. Jesus' point is it wasn't even worth comparing. And instead of sharing with his fellow servant the joy of his newfound forgiveness, Jesus says that the servant mistreated his fellow servant and he demanded that he pay him the debt. Instead of reflecting the king's compassion, the forgiven servant became angry. And he thought that he was still owed this money. And he found, Jesus says, the fellow servant. He seized him. He put his hands around his neck and he began yelling at him, pay me what you owe. And in the culture of that day, some scholars say that when an event like that happened and someone put their hands around a person's neck to confront them and seize them and shake them, they would shake them and squeeze until blood began to run out of their nose. He was angry, bitter, refusing to forgive. And it is clear from this text that the forgiven servant was not grateful for the mercy that he experienced from the king. Listen to me, church. Even though he received mercy, he remained unmerciful. Even though he experienced forgiveness, he did not extend forgiveness. What are we to think of this, Pastor? This servant is a picture of someone today who says, listen carefully to me, they have received the forgiveness of God, but failed to extend that same forgiveness to others. Do you know what Jesus' point is? When you've been forgiven by God, you forgive. When you've been forgiven by God, you forgive. Statement number four. 
verses 29 and 30. He refused to forgive, and he cast his debtor into prison. So his fellow servant fell down, and he pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now you'll notice in verse 29 that this fellow servant used the same language that the servant who was forgiven by the king used in verse 26. Do you see it? It's the same language. Have patience with me and I will pay you. But the forgiven servant was unwilling to grant his fellow servant the grace, the mercy, and the compassion that he had received. So in verse 30, Jesus says, look at the text. The servant refused to forgive the debt of his fellow servant, and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Look at the word in your Bible, refused. This was a literal act of conscience. It was a willful act on the part of this servant to refuse to forgive. He knew that he needed to forgive. And he refused to extend the forgiveness anyway. He intentionally, listen church, he intentionally hardened his heart. And refused. He had been forgiven an astronomical debt himself. Should he not also forgive? He had been released from prison. Should he not also release others from prison? And I want you to know this morning. That this is what a Christian who refuses to forgive their brother and sister in Christ looks like to God. This is how God views it. And he says it's completely contrary to how I have forgiven you. And let me just be clear this morning. To refuse to forgive someone is to put them in shackles, put them behind bars, and hold them in prison. Statement number five. His refusal to forgive affected those around him. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. There were other servants around, and they saw all of this action take place between the one who was forgiven and his fellow servant. And Jesus says that they were so greatly distressed by it, they went to the king and they reported all that had taken place. That phrase, greatly distressed, it literally means this. To cause pain, to cause someone to be sad, to cause them to be sorrowful. These other servants were affected 
by all that they saw in this interaction. They were greatly distressed. They were full of pain and sadness and sorrow. And so they went to the king. And I would say to you this morning that we as believers should be deeply grieved when a fellow brother or sister in Christ refuses to forgive because their hardness of heart causes dissension and division within the church. It tarnishes the testimony of the church in the world. And listen to me, it deeply grieves the Lord of the church. And I want you to know and understand this morning that your refusal to forgive, your refusal to let go of your bitterness, your refusal to let go of your anger and to deal with it. Listen, it's not only making you miserable, it is making everybody else around you miserable. You are deceiving yourselves this morning. If you think that your unforgiveness, your bitterness, and your refusal to deal with your anger is only affecting you, just ask your family if you're brave enough. They'll tell you. Just ask your coworker. Just ask your own heart and soul when you get quiet, if you do get quiet. You're deceiving yourselves if you think it's only affecting you. Number six, verses 32 to 34. His refusal to forgive imprisoned him. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. Do you see what happened? The distressed servants, they went to the king. They reported all of the actions. The king, the master, Jesus says, summoned the unforgiving servant. And he called him. A wicked servant. And reminded him of all of the debt that he had been forgiven. And yet he refused to extend that same kind of forgiveness to his fellow servant. The word wicked that Jesus uses here. It and its synonyms are used all throughout the New Testament. To deal with sinful action. Human depravity. Utter evil and wickedness. Do you see that, friends? Do you have your Bible open? Your pastor is not making up what he's telling you. God is saying to every single one of us this morning that when we refuse to forgive, in his eyes, it is wickedness. It is the height of human depravity to not forgive. And Jesus is teaching us that the true condition of our hearts before God is the way we forgive. It reveals it. You can't hide it. You might be able to masquerade it to me or to the other, other shepherds of the church. You might be able to masquerade it to your friends. But there's one person you can never fool. He sees it all. 
He knows it all. This servant received forgiveness, but he really didn't experience forgiveness. It did not change his heart. And as a result, he was unable to forgive the one who wronged him. Now look in verse 34, what happens? Jesus says that in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Do you see what happened in the text? Mercy from the king was replaced with wrath. Mercy was replaced with anger. It's not that the king expected the forgiven servant to give his fellow servant a chance to repay the debt. It's that the king expected him to have mercy on his fellow servant and forgive the debt entirely, just as the king had extended mercy and forgiveness to him. And notice in the text, what provoked the king to wrath was not how the servant had managed the king's money. What provoked the king to wrath was how the servant managed the king's mercy. What made the king angry is that he failed to be a good steward of God's grace and forgiveness. And he was full of anger. And notice verse 34. The king delivers this servant to the jailers. Until he should pay the debt. You know, you remember the debt, right? 60 million days worth of work. Ask the question of the text. How long would he be in prison? Forever! The rest of his life. He would never pay that back. Do you know what the worst prison is? It's the prison of an unforgiving heart. But when you forgive, you set prisoners free. You set the one that you extend forgiveness to free. But you find when you extend forgiveness, you set yourself free. You don't even realize it this morning. You're so caught up in your self-righteousness and your right to be angry and your right to be bitter. And pastor, you don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what's been said to me. You don't know how I've been treated. And all of that is blinding you to what's really happening in your heart. Friends, forgiveness it's liberating. When I met with God, morning after morning, crying out to Him, begging Him to help me forgive and to move on and remove the bitterness, He did. And I'm free. Warren Wiersbe said, if we live only according to justice, always seeking to get what is ours, we will put ourselves into prison. But if we live according to forgiveness, sharing with others what God has shared with us, then we'll enjoy freedom and joy. Well, Jesus teaches us the principle of forgiveness and the parable concerning forgiveness. And in verse 35, he teaches us the practice of 
forgiveness. Now listen, I don't think you've tuned out. I, I feel like you're with me this morning because we're talking about real life. Relevant. You keep your Bible open and you read with me verse 35 because I'm not making up what I'm getting ready to say to you. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do you remember what we said in verse 23? That Jesus said that this parable was a picture of the kingdom of heaven. And that it was to communicate a spiritual lesson about how God operates his heavenly kingdom. And the lesson is found in verse 35 that we just read together. And in this verse, Jesus makes the connection between the king's imprisonment of the unforgiving servant and God the Father's judgment upon those who say they are Christians and refuse to forgive. Now look at verse 35 in your Bible. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. That's the lesson. Do you see the point? He's connecting it to the parable, and he's telling you this is the point of the parable. What that king did is what my father will do to you if you claim to be a Christian and you refuse to forgive. You see it for yourself? I'm not making it up. Now, I have to tell you a couple things that Jesus doesn't mean in this verse. Jesus teaches in this parable that there's an unbreakable connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of other people. There's a direct correlation. However, this does not mean that God forgives and saves us because we extend forgiveness to others. Jesus is not teaching God will forgive you if you will forgive other people. That is not what he is teaching. That is a works-based salvation and it's anti-Bible. He is not teaching that. Nor does it mean that once we've been saved and forgiven by God, we can lose our salvation because we fail to forgive others. The Bible is also clear on that. When you have been truly born again and saved and forgiven of your sins by God through His Son's work on the cross, you are forever sealed by the Holy Spirit as one of God's children. You can never, ever, 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 ever Clear? Lose your salvation. He's not teaching that. Well, pastor, what in the world is he teaching? It's simple. Simple. If you're a Christian, and you say you have been forgiven by God, and at the same time you refuse to forgive somebody else, do you know what Jesus is saying? You're not a Christian. Your profession no matter what kind of experience you claim to have, isn't real. That's why I want you to look in your Bible. I'm not making it up. Jesus is saying that. And you say to me, no, that can't be right, Pastor. I've been a part of the church since I was a little kid. And I walked the aisle and I did this and I did that. He surely can't mean that. Oh, yes, he can. Matter of fact, he might just be talking to you. 
because you did stuff, but like the servant in the parable, it never affected your heart. One commentator said, there is no such creature as an unforgiving Christian. That being doesn't exist. Christians forgive, and we forgive because we have been transformed by the gospel. And if the gospel of forgiveness gets in you, it comes out of you. And it leads to relational transformation. Don't you dare tell your pastor. Don't you dare tell God. Don't you dare tell Jesus that you've been transformed by the gospel, but it can't transform your relationship. It's not true. Now look at the text. Look at verse 35. How are we to forgive? From our heart. From our heart. The heart that is affected by the forgiveness of God extends the forgiveness of God to others. You say, how do you forgive from the heart, Pastor? Just what I tried to tell you with my own story this morning. You get alone with God. You tell God everything you want to tell him about what's been done to you and how wrong it is and what you've experienced. Oh, and by the way, he already knows because he sees it all. So you're not like informing him of anything that he hasn't seen or heard or known. But if it makes you feel better, get alone with him and tattletale. Tell, all, tell it all. And then while you're there, you begin to think about what he might say to you. And what you've done. And how you've acted. And what's in your heart. And then you begin to think about Christ. And how all of the sin that the person did to you was placed on God's Son. And all the sin that you've done was placed right along beside it on God's Son. And then when he hung on the cross and all that sin was on him, he said, it is finished. And he died for it all. And just before he died, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you picture yourself there at the foot of the cross. And you'll find you got nothing else to say. Forgive me, God. Forgive them. Help me forgive others. If you have a problem with forgiving, it's because you haven't been forgiven. That's what Jesus said. The pastor's not making it up. Now, what do you say, Pastor? Well, I, I could end right here and just let it go. But as I was studying and as I was running and preaching the text back to myself as I was running this week, I was thinking about it. And this is real life. So we have to talk about real life for a minute. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you some categories of application of who this passage is talking to this morning. Here's the first category. It's talking to the non-Christian and the unbeliever that's in the room. This story that Jesus told, friend, is one of the clearest pictures of what it means to not know Christ and then come to know him and be forgiven. It is so clear. Can't you see it? You're the servant in this story that's never been forgiven. 
And I don't think I need to say anything else to you today other than this. Just ask you this simple question. Don't you want to be free? Don't you want to be forgiven by God? Don't you want to know when you die and breathe your last breath, you're going to heaven? You can. If you'll confess your sin, turn from it, trust in Christ and what he did on the cross for you, and believe that if you ask him to forgive you and save you, he will. Unbeliever, you need to be forgiven. Category number two. Listen to me, church. It's about to get real. Those who cannot forgive themselves. I'm talking to people in this room this morning who can't forgive themselves. Whether it's the sins of your youth that continue to plague you and haunt you, sins in your past, the hurt that you have put on other people, the hurt that you've put yourself through, through abortion, through the use of pornography, for other sins that you've committed that have just absolutely devastated you on the inside. And you cannot forgive yourself. I have a couple questions for you this morning. Number one, do you understand that if I've described you this morning and you can't forgive yourself, that you have set your standard of forgiveness higher than God's standard? And God is holy. God is the only one who is holy, and he is the one who gets to set the standard for what forgiveness is. And you... By not forgiving yourselves are essentially setting a higher standard of forgiveness than God does. And here's the other thing that you're saying, friends, whether you realize it or not. You're saying that Jesus' work on the cross when he died for the sins of your past, the sins of your present, and the sins of your future is not enough to forgive you. That you need more. How could you ever get more than what Jesus did? It is enough. And what you need to do today is turn from your unbelief that God could forgive you and trust in Christ and what he did on the cross for you. And leave, listen, leave free. Category number three. This is probably the largest category I'm speaking to this morning. Those who refuse to forgive others. It may be your spouse. It could be a parent. Parents, it could be a child. It could be a friend. It could be a relative. It could be a church member. It could be a leader of the church. It could be somebody who has violated you. And they're close to you and they've repeatedly abused you and mistreated you and used you and cast you off. You're in chains this morning and you're keeping them in chains. 
It could be somebody that's no longer in your life this morning, but you continue to keep them in prison. And you can hear even now as I'm talking to you, the jangling of the keys of the prison door at your side. You've been wronged. You've been hurt. You've been broken. You've tried to let it go. And you just keep coming back to it. Pressing it down, pushing it aside. Anybody gets too close, you deflect. You may even be sitting there this morning while I've been teaching through this passage saying, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. Oh, your thoughts betray you. If you're sitting there saying, that's not me, it's probably you. Because that's the Holy Spirit of God using his word to shine the light into the darkness of your heart. To set you and others free. By the way, you know what I just said is true. Final category. Those who think they're Christians, but they're deceived because they refuse to forgive. You're in a pickle. Because Jesus has showed you through his word what true forgiveness looks like. And you say you're a Christian. And now it's going to be tested. Because things have been revealed. The spotlight has come on. You know what things aren't right in your relationships and in your life. You know it. It's right there in front of you right now as I'm talking. And you're going to have a choice. You're going to have a choice to make it right or reject it. And do you know how you're going to know you're a Christian? You're going to make it right. And if you refuse to make it right, Jesus says you should really question whether you're a Christian. You see it in your text, right? Like I'm not making that up. So this final verse It's given to us to crush our pride. It's given to us to destroy our self-righteousness. It's given to us to decimate our justification for holding a grudge, to convict us of our sin, and to lead us to repentance. This verse is given to shine the light of the gospel of grace into the darkness of hardened hearts. It is given to reveal our need for salvation. And Jesus says that the single greatest gift anyone can ever receive is a Christian. And if God has forgiven you, friend, he's forgiven you from his heart. And now he is asking you if you will forgive from your heart those you need to forgive. Forgiveness comes from the heart. Do you have a heart of forgiveness? Let's pray.